Support for the APT Comics Podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over their technology developments to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. I have to say, uh, Forrest, last week I was on the Cape, and I had not yet tried my Lawnmower 3.0, the, the newer uh, model of their male groomer. Mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> Their erogenous zone trimmer. <laughs> And uh, I, I, you know, I laugh because I, it it feels awkward to talk about it, but I don't think it is because uh, no, baby, it's a good product. So I did a full day of scraping paint, and I didn't use it yet. Then the next day, I used it, and first of all, when I was using it, I have to say the LED light, huge, uh, um, helpful, and uh, <laughs> trimming down there. You get precise with it. Yeah, because, you know, there's some nooks and crannies you can't get into, like an English muffin. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> also, it's water resistant, so it was easy to clean mm, mm. Uh, when I was done. And I was in a crappy hotel on Cape Cod, by the way, so it wasn't like I had my usual gear. But I did have this. And I have to say, the next day, when I went back to scraping the uh, the fence that I had to, to them paint, a uh, lot more breezy. A lot <laughs> more comfortable. Easy, breezy, beautiful, manscapedable. <laughs> there you go. So yeah, I just want to say uh, it's a pretty good product, and I you highly used it, it and you liked it. I and did. Thank you to Manscaped for sending us them. You can get twenty percent off and free shipping with the code AIPT twenty at manscaped.com. That's twenty percent off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use code AIPT two zero. I guys, I want you guys to experience it. It's great stuff. Hello and welcome to AFPT Comics Podcast. We are on episode 78. My name is David Brooke. I am just a co-host. That means there's another host. Hello, my name is Forrest with two (laughs) R's. And I may not be excited to talk about comics, but we're going to do it anyway. Yeah, because this is a comics news and review show. This is a weekly news and review show to keep you up to date and informed on what's going on in comics. This week, we have Ryan Stegman on the show. We're going to be talking about Venom, his podcast, a uh, you know secret project, secret project for fans of Venom. Talk about that a little bit. That's later in the show, uh, so stick with us until then. Ryan will be on later in the show. Before we get there, we're going to be recapping the biggest news of the week and reviewing the best books of the week. To start, sadly, it seems like every week of the show is depressing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> The state of the comics industry is in not a healthy place, and we saw that firsthand when Dark Dark Horse and Mike McNola cut ties with Scott Ale following sexual assault claims. Uh, Scott Ale was uh, still freelancing with Dark Horse as an editor and writer. Mm -hmm. Primarily on the BPRD and Hellboy books. Yes, correct. And uh, a woman named Shauna Gore uh, recounted on her Twitter account uh, what it was like working with Scott Ale, and it was not good. Yeah. Severe allegations regarding sexual assault, harassment, yeah, emotional abuse as well. It was corroborated by quite a few people that either saw Shauna's experiences or had their own experiences with Scott. I don't want to recount the details on this podcast because we try to maintain it as both a safe space and also a journalistic space. But I think a lot of those accounts are still up. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I know that you and I take this side of the, uh, the victim. And I, I believe them. I do too. 
Um, this was uh, obviously spurred on because of, you know, people coming out last week uh, in regards to Cameron Stewart and Warren Ellis mm -hmm. and others, yeah. which is great that people are coming out and naming names. Um, it's the only way we can heal and, and potentially fix the systemic issue that's gone on across I would say probably every publisher. And, and I mean, every medium as well. This moved through, yeah. it's moving through the game space right now, streamers mm -hmm. as well as game development. It's moving through wrestling, particularly the UK wrestling scene. Um, yep. And then it's kind of coming full circle again on comics. There are conversations about big creators and editors that you know, or um, that you don't know you know, but you have seen their books. You've seen their properties translated into TV shows and movies and games and other mediums. And then there's also conversations about smaller things um, indicative of a widespread problem. Correct. Yep. Mm -hmm. With representation, with um, creating safe spaces in publishing. It's complex. It was really difficult to read all week. Um, people that you look up to, you know, I'm, I'm particularly hurt by some of the claims that are being made about Mike Mignola. Um, which isn't to mm -hmm. say that he's been accused of assault directly so much as he has been of protecting Scott and Scott's job at Dark Horse. It's hard. I didn't want to read comics this week. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that Dark Horse, they did respond fairly quickly mm -hmm. uh, by comparison to the non-reaction or slow reaction by other publishers to to show a sign that other publishers can do it right. Vault canceled 100 Wolves due to Mike Cole's misconduct. Um Earlier this week, mm -hmm. they sent out a press release that um, pretty abrupt. Was, yeah, it was one sentence. Yeah. Vault Comics will no longer be publishing Hundred Wolves from writer Mike Cole. Now, I immediately went to Forrest on our Slack and was like, "Hey, do you know anything about this?" Because uh, they didn't say why. Yeah, <laughs> I had to do some digging, and um, Mike Cole actually tweeted about it and reposted his apology um, from a couple yes, years ago, 2018, when this a similar thing happened. Yeah. I mean, thankfully, he's owning it and not, like, complaining like some other creators have done. Right. right. Um, I mean, if you look at what's happening with Eddie Berganza and Eric Esquivel making their own alternate right. press mm -hmm. or whatever, there are different ways that abusers are handling this. But it's quite apparent that this is a problem and that people in power have a problem. And that includes names like Jason Latour, as we mentioned before, um, mm -hmm. Warren Ellis, Cameron Stewart. Brian Wood, various others that are well-known, as well as conversations around smaller things in the comic scene. Um, do you know the Valkyries? Uh, no, what's that? So the Valkyries was a group, uh, basically a discussion group originally on Facebook, um, and it was kind of also a convention group created by Kate Leff mm -hmm. that was supposed to be a safe space for women in comics. The only qualifications were that you were a woman and that you worked in comics, whether that be retail, creative, editorial, whatever it may be. And um, there were a lot of, I think, very productive and positive conversations about Kate's management or mismanagement of that group mm -hmm. and how uh, people of color, women of color's voices were often talked over and railroaded in that space hmm. um, and having a very healthy conversation about the brand of white feminism that is allowed to succeed in comics to some degree versus, you know, the experience of queer and marginalized people of color in particular um and and that's a good productive conversation to have on a smaller level and almost basically a fandom level or a, a creator level as opposed to big things or editorial decisions that seem harder to control or harder to make movement on quickly mm -hmm. so i do i do think that all of this is for the good 
Right. Right. I mean, Vault is a very new publisher, and to see them cancel a book mm-hmm. right after—I mean, it took about two days after I think uh, Mike Cole apologized again for them to officially cancel it. Um, but that's a good move. I, unfortunately, Absolutely, there's yeah. a color artist, an artist, and a letterer that now don't have work. Yeah, and and you hope that Vault has something in place for them to right um, get get some work, be varying covers or fill in coloring or lettering or whatever it may be. But I do kind of see. Or I'm starting to see Vault as an industry leader. Sure. In doing yeah. things correctly. And it's you don't want to put people up on a pedestal if that's the one thing we've learned. Yeah. You know, I was thinking, like, I was looking at Mike Cole's Twitter. He's got fifty over 50,000 followers. He's got many novels under his name. You know, I was pondering, like, is he getting ahead of this and, and admitting to it and all that because he can? Because he financially can just mm. cut ties with Vault and it's yeah. not a big deal? Yeah. I, it's it's always very difficult for me to believe that they are... The, a statement is not enough. Mm-hmm. You need to see positive action and change. Right. And, right. you know, you need to de-platform yourself. If we want to talk about people that have done that successfully, Jenna Marbles from YouTube did so earlier this week. Mm-hmm. And, and that was... It, it's not something that I've seen a lot of comics workers do yet. I feel like Jeff Lemire's move is a, is a helpful one that yes. more creators should do, which is he called out that if Scott Ale isn't removed, he will take a black hammer away from Dark Horse. Yes. Or he'll stop working with them. And, and that he said he communicated that directly to publisher uh, Mike Richardson, who I think right. also needs to be removed from Dark Horse. And uh, that's a larger conversation that people are having, people in know are having regarding reports that were made to him that he didn't act on, um, a community or a culture that he fostered at Dark Horse, those kinds of things. And we are out of our depth in terms of we don't we work in comics but we don't work with creators and editors and stuff every day right mm-hmm. and um it's i i'm certain it's obviously a legal issue there are problems with slander and accusations and, and false accusations which i think are generally make up maybe one percent of all accusations i think generally the accuser has much more to lose than the abuser does mm-hmm. um which is unfortunate because that's what the system props up but some sort of widespread change needs to happen. Right. And I definitely don't think it's going to come from the comic book legal defense fund. Right. Charles Brownstein has resigned um, after allegations from uh, Takisoma, mm-hmm. uh, something that uh, Brownstein did back in November 2005. Yeah, like what you just said makes me think like, okay, yeah, we're removing one person, but that's not going it's to not, fix It's not this. the fix. It's a Band-Aid. No. Right. Right. Um, because it's a, it's a cultural problem. Right. Um, and, and there are quite a few calls now for uh, people that have worked with Comic Book to Legal Defense Fund, the CB... What is it? CBD? People are calling CB, it CBD. CBLDF. <laughs> CBLDF. Um, <laughs> a lot of women in particular saying that they were asked to sign NDAs. Yeah, that's To weird. work with them or to be on their board and stuff like that and asking to be removed from their NDAs. And I just have to say that is the handiwork of a predator. Sure. That is something that has been set up, propped up, established on purpose. Like, I understand an NDA, if you're like working software, you need to sign one of those to protect like the code because you could easily just copy sure. it. And, and but in a, in a situation like this, they want to protect themselves from people talking about that. right yeah it's not it's not like it's you know client attorney privilege right that we're talking about we're talking about right. people that like 
worked for them or worked ancillary to them and were asked to sign all these NDAs and very obviously want to be released from them because they also have stories about the environment there. I saw a lot of people who've openly supported this uh, organization for a long time say, yeah. I will not be supporting this. Yep. Um, I think Al Ewing came out. Also, Kurt Busiek came out. Mm -hmm. They Yeah, they publicly on Twitter basically said, I don't know if I can ever help this company again. Yeah. This organization did good work. I mean, the whole point of it is to help creators, right? Right, and, you know, a lot of people said the same about Ellis. Ellis set up a mentorship program for young creators that changed comics and got new names and voices and people into comics. Mm -hmm. But he obviously misused that. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and a lot of people... I, I saw a lot, quite a few people saying... Warren is capable of good, and he's done very good things for the comic space, but he obviously cannot handle being here and not abusing his power. Right. And, and maybe it's the same for the Legal Defense Fund in that your ethos or your mission is inherently corrupted by having someone like Charles Brownstein in power. Right. If he's so important to your org that you have to keep him around with right. all these allegations flying and you're making promises, I think Taki was saying they made a promise that they would give money to charity and he's going to apologize and step down or something. And everything, none of that happened. Right. And then I would say to touch on what you just said about none of that happening is when we go through these waves of outings, and I don't just mm. want to call them, you know, accusations or allegations, though they are in a lot of cases, because sometimes there's very tangible evidence. Mm -hmm. um, when we go through these waves of outings, the follow-up that we need to do as people in the comic space, you and I in kind of an ancillary role, but also creators and editors, um, there needs to be some level of accountability. More people than just Lemire need to say, I'm going to stop working for you if you do not remove name. Right, right. Right, because then, yeah, there's, there's no reason for the publishers to do anything if when everybody mm -hmm. kind of calms down and forgets, because we all do, we're humans. I mean, Brian Wood went away for a couple years after those initial allegations and then got Aliens, right? a massive property that Dark Horse was publishing, and one that they published and pushed and market heavily mm -hmm. before a second wave finally got him out of there, before Dark Horse finally took that seriously. Um, there needs to be tangible action. Right. It's the same with, um, you know, protests right now and people in the streets uh, wanting Absolutely, police yeah. to be disbanded and change to happen. And, you know, things seem to be slowing down uh, right now with all that. But you have to persist. <laughs> yeah, we can't we can't let this go until let up. we feel like enough change has happened that things can shift, because I don't think there has been enough change yet. No, nope. for anything. to well, There obviously and hasn't. You know, I was hopeful that this new wave of creators and even this new wave of wrestlers would rebuke the industry practices. Yeah. Um, these, you know, whisper networks and sorts of things um, have made it quite obvious that they haven't. Right. And, and it, it, you have to demand change at even a fan level at this point. Right. Um, and I do think it is for the greater good. I think it's a net positive. I commend... All of the marginalized people, especially women that are coming out and sharing their stories, because it is incredibly scary. Oh, yeah. If you look at how many times like Zoe Quinn has been doxxed and her life has been threatened and stuff for speaking right. out about her experiences in the games industry, it's not a safe thing to do, though it should be. Right, because your job is on the line, essentially. You don't know yeah. who wants to right. destroy you. If or, you... or what person is going to want to kill you right. for making these for saying these things um, and right. for speaking your truth and about your experiences and stuff. 
it's a net positive. I commend them. It's incredibly difficult. Um, it's like lancing a boil, I guess. It's uncomfortable for everyone, too. I mean, change. Don't, people don't like change, right? Right. They need to listen, though, and they need to know this is real. Right. And we need to out all of it so that we can actually begin some form of a healing process. Right. I don't think that this is the last time that we will talk no. about this. God, no. This, we're, this is likely going to be coming up even more next week. Yeah. It may I, slow, slow down, but it will probably be... T- I mean, did we talk about this kind of thing at all last year in our podcast? I don't yeah. remember. Well, Eric Esquivel. Esquivel, yeah. And Was that last year? S- several yeah. others were named last year. Um, it's been an exhausting couple of years, 2020. Is kind of the. I feel like Esquivel was like 15 years ago yeah. at this point. <laughs> I feel like I've aged 15 years since then. Oh, God. Um, I will say it was incredibly hard for me to read comics this week. I, I went through this process where I got really into wrestling last year, and then all these wrestlers were outed. Yeah. Um, I've been into games my whole life, and games writers and developers that I looked up to were outed. And all these comics people are being outed, and I it's tough. It like makes you feel isolated and it makes you feel insecure and it makes you feel like you chose the wrong hobbies or something to some degree. Like, Mm -hmm. Oh shit. How did I not know all this was happening? It's not your fault. I totally understand needing to take a break from either social media, which we should all do more frequently or from reading comics or playing those games or whatever for some time. Um, It's not your fault. You couldn't have possibly known before they were outed and that's why they succeed and that's what they're hoping for i have to echo what you said about social media i feel like that only it's like an echo chamber yeah and you know obviously it's the platform where you you learn about a lot a lot of this but if you hang around reading all the replies and either positive or negative it just it just exasperates it It makes it more uh emotionally draining i think yeah i was on twitter way more this week than ever and it was just like it's just crushing yeah. And I think we need to remember that real life still exists outside the app and we need to take breaks. Totally. Abs- absolutely. And I, and I, I guess what I was trying to say, and I'm, I'm sorry, I'm really in my feelings about it, but I guess what I was trying to say is if you need to take a break from reading comics, do it. In the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter. The same way that Fortnite and WWE don't fucking matter. It's a way to... Um to escape right it's right it's it's escapism and it's a coping mechanism and i think that that's very good and i think that these spaces offer a lot but if you feel that you are reliving past experiences or past trauma you you can step away and you can take a break and we're still going to do this podcast every week but my want to read and engage with comics ebbs and flows all the time and i hope that people take to heart very seriously that they should take care of themselves first well said Let's move on to some news that's not about The rest of this assault. news is actually pretty fun. The rest yeah. of the news is, has nothing to do with what we just talked about for almost 20 minutes. Yeah. DC's event Leviathan Checkmate by Bendis and Maleev has been postponed indefinitely. I want yeah, to so when do you word. think that they got Scott Snyder and Bendis into a room to rewrite the DC <laughs> future and all their publications? I got to say, yeah, like 5G, Dan Didio, all that probably shifted this right yeah absolutely it's all in flux it's all i hope that what comes out of it is more coherent yeah and i actually kind of saw i said last week i saw the first death metal as that i was like oh this makes sense this is a good mission statement they should just yeah they should just lean into that and then i don't know i think we've said on the show multiple times like what dc's been up to the last year it just feels like there's no identity it's all over the place yeah yeah you've got lex Luthor like 
taking over the world. Meanwhile, like normal things are happening in other books like Batman. Right. And the thing that we all dunked on Black Label initially is actually the soundest thing that they have right now. Right. So it's probably a good thing that this is being uh, postponed. Yeah, I, I, I still hope that we see it in some form. Leviathan has been a really interesting mega event and character and mm-hmm. i appreciate what bendis is trying to do um but the same as we said with death metal he needs an editor yeah and i yeah, hope I that they're working um in tandem a little bit more to make the dc's next the dc universe's next step a little more sturdy dc doesn't have like an x-men in that they don't have like a little they don't have like a, a hugely popular corner that they can just play around with while <coughs> stuff goes on in the rest of the universe That's i feel true. like yeah which is maybe why Bendis has been leaning so hard into Legion of Superheroes. He's trying to like make his own little kind of X-Men world. But mm-hmm. I don't know if you're ever going to get there. Uh, the fandom's already entrenched. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. In our next bit of news, uh, Rick Remender has come out and revealed The Scumbag is coming to Image Comics in October 2020. This is an interesting bit of news. We don't not normally talk about every book that's been announced in the week because we'd be here all night. But... Uh, in, in this bit of news, he is having a rotation of artists uh, on each issue. So it starts with Louis LaRosa, and it goes on to Andrew Robinson, Eric Powell, Tula Lotte, Wes Craig, Simon DeMeo, uh, sorry, Simone DeMeo, um, Yannick Paquette, Mike McCone, Dave Johnson. These are some big, big names. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. So I'm excited to see how the change in artists each issue shifts the narrative, makes it feel different, and how it will also be cohesive, because that... Those are some really different art styles. Yeah, it should be cool. It's an interesting artistic endeavor at the very least. I'm not a huge Remender fan. I mean, ever since X-Force, I haven't really been reading Yeah, Remender, I really but... liked Agent Fear and X-Force, but I think everything since then has been a, been a little hit or miss for me. Right. Um, Black Science ne- never really ended up going in the direction I wanted it to, and Low took so long to come out. But but if Rick Remender's your thing, and I think he has a niche, um, sure. This this seems like a cool idea. DC Comics has released their solicitations for September. Every Tuesday in September. Every Tuesday. Let's see how long this goes. Probably forever. Um, so yeah, they've released their schedule for September. A um, couple surprises in there. Uh, they came out with a with their DC Connect magazine, which I love the idea of. Um, this is this only the second issue of DC Connect to deliver their solicitations. It's like a. It's almost like the previews catalog, isn't it? yeah it's like a bespoke previews catalog only it's not physical it's a pdf that you can download mm-hmm. a bunch of collections are coming in september particularly from hill house comics the dollhouse family is one um as well as the Lolo woods so you know they're just getting those books out for the halloween times halloween months what is it what does i say <laughs> <laughs> halloween isn't just a day folks it's a month happy halloween to those who celebrate <laughs> Marvel's Tom Brevert launches Comics Editor RPG. <laughs> this is the weirdest, most random thing I've ever yeah. seen. <laughs> he has got it's basically a fantasy kind of fantasy football kind of game where DC, Marvel, and Image duke it out. I don't know why those three were selected and not another publisher. I mean, I think he's trying to evoke a certain time period. Sure. Because he's assigned people to Spider-Man, X-Men, Thor, and Captain America, all of Image Comics, and then specifically Superman. Um, he's got a really long history in the comics industry. He's oh, been yeah. at Marvel since 1989. So I think he's trying to evoke a very specific industry. And um, he's got fans enlisted to play this game where other people will be able to score points. And this is all on his private blog. 
Mm-hmm. I definitely think it's a little weird to be like, I'm going to play this editor game with DC and image and stuff. <laughs> but uh, we also know from interviews and other conversations that DC and Marvel send each other all of their books. They're not anywhere near as hostile as people actually think they are. So we want to make it make it a battle. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I, we'll be uh, we'll be checking in on that. <laughs> I'll follow uh, it. Whatever. <laughs> I, I'm not excited at all by it. Uh, unfortunately, I, I, I was just like, what is this thing? It's a, it seems like it's a free-form tabletop role-playing game that's going to play out with people that he chose from volunteers mm-hmm. to play um, on his blog every week. And other people, the audience, will be able to score points based on the successes or failures of those other fans. This it's very make- weird. There should be a superhero fantasy football type deal where there every be, yeah. year, like, oh, well, Batman's 90 points, so I can only get Robin for my t- top five or whatever. Yeah. How would that work, though? It's not like they they play basketball or something. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, and the, the same with this. I don't know how this is going to work, but I'm definitely going to keep my eye on it. It's a little weirdsy. I'm going to keep my eye on Vault Comics because they're coming out with their own horror imprint called Nightfall. Uh, and they're starting it, they're kicking it off this September with a new series called The Autumnal. And uh, this looks like a pretty cool book. If you go to AFPTComics.com, you can get a, a quick unlettered preview of it, um, showing off its nice paintedly, painterly art. It's drawn by Chris Shahan with color by Jason Wordy, and it's written by Daniel Krauss. Daniel Krauss, who co-wrote The Shape of Water with Guillermo del Toro. Del Toro. It's- Yes, this uh, this guy's got some clout. Yes. I mean, it's cool. I like everything that Vault's doing. <laughs> Editorial decisions related to Michael and otherwise. It's kind of interesting they're doing this. They're, they just unveiled this because just last week they, they unveiled that they're working with Heavy Metal and they're going to be selling their books on heavymetal.com. Mm-hmm. And this uh, horror imprint makes sense for Heavy Metal, I'd say. Totally, totally. Next up, Skybound celebrates 10 years with their virtual Skybound XPO. I'm sorry, Expo. I didn't pronounce that correctly. (laughs) (laughs) So this is a two-day event, uh, July 18th and July 19th. Supposedly, they will have uh, big reveals. Uh, If you don't know, Skybound is a company created by Robert Kirkman and um, David Alpert Mm -hmm. 10 years ago. It's essentially like an imprint of image, I'd call it. Yeah, but they also publish board games and some other medium media. They, They make toys. Yeah. It's... It's it's kind of I've never really understood the relationship. So I know that they have a different relationship with creators, um, Mm -hmm. and the reason that I know this is that John Layman, who worked on Chew and then um, Mm. also Outer Darkness, announced recently that Chew Outer Darkness number three, the crossover book, yeah, um, will actually be the final Outer Darkness book. Oh, okay. Um, It was canceled by Skybound. And people were saying, well, can't you take Chew and Outer Darkness somewhere else? And he said, no, Skybound owns them. Oh, shoot. And canceled the product, Um, which is unfortunate. But I know that Skybound is kind of operating as a separate entity from Image to some degree. I've always seen it as like an arm to get comics movie deals or something. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of an IP farm. Um, But they definitely have enough content to host their own expo. I'll definitely be checking in on it yeah. one of those days. A friend of mine that I'm working on a top secret project with um, actually booked out all of the conventions, the digital conventions that are happening on his okay. calendar. And there is a convention every weekend until September. Wow. That's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> what are you working on for us? Tell us. I can't tell you yet. Oh, is it a comic thing? It is not related to comics at all. 
okay. So it's a mixology class. Yes. <laughs> Come on down to MixCon. <laughs> Hosted via Zoom, September 1st. I want you to make a drink with Juniper, but Juniper with two R's. Juniper Ascending. In our next bit of news, in our last bit of news, Kieran Gillen, well, Marvel Comics announces that Kieran Gillen, Kieran Gillen will be writing a Marvel's Warhammer 4000 book. Yes. And uh, he tweeted, I saw his tweet, it was kind of funny, because yes. he was like, the only way to get me to go back to Marvel was Warhammer 4000, which made me think, oh, he must have like emphatically quit Marvel. Yes. So this is coming in October, and um, it's drawn by Jason Burroughs. Mm-hmm. And uh, tell us about Warhammer 4000. 40,000. I don't know. 40,000. So Warhammer 40,000 is, um, it's originally a tabletop war game um, Mm -hmm. that spawned a bunch of other media as well, um, including a massive series of novels published by the Black Library. Mm -hmm. Um, They also do audio books. They've done comics in the past. They do quite a few video games. Um, Marvel acquired the rights to produce Warhammer 40k comics about a year ago. Um, and I was suspicious that this might happen because Kieran had done an interview where he said they finally got him to come back to Marvel and there was something that he was very excited to be working on. Mm-hmm. And and knowing how big a fan he is of 40K and knowing that they had just acquired 40K, um, I thought that connection was pretty clear. I was surprised to find that he is kind of in an editorial role hmm. Interesting. in the same way that uh, Hickman is for the X-Line. Kieran said, if you are a comics creator, writer... Um, or even if you've written like 40k novels or you're a big fan um, as an artist, let me know and we will try to find a book for you to work on. Cool. So it's not just this initial book that he's working on. It sounds like he's going to act as um, in kind of an editorial role for a new Marvel 40k line, which I am very excited about. It is a silly, over-the-top, incredibly violent, grim, dark, and yet very fun world this is the kind of thing where i plead to warhammer fans to buy everything with your money and don't pirate because if you want more of it this right now you need to be buying this is the moment off the shelf yes this is our moment yeah (laughs) honestly you can survive off warhammer content in novels and youtube shorts and um comics and games and stuff without ever buying the tabletop game the minis are incredibly expensive um, so actually, this is probably cheaper endeavor, and I will definitely be picking all of these up. In October, I prophesize that Forrest's favorite comic will be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's probably true. Which is a great segue for our next segment, our top books of the week. This is our top two favorite comics out this week. Forrest, what was your second favorite book of last week? So my second favorite book was a new image book called That Texas Blood Number 1. This was written by Chris Condon with art by Jacob Phillips. This is a thrilling, sad, and shocking introduction to a Coen Brothers-esque world full of um, rustic absurdism down in Texas, in both senses of the word absurdism. Condon and Phillips are kind of firing all all cylinders here with a story that balances the mundane, um, a sheriff trying to get a casserole dish back for his birthday, (laughs) and um, the horrifying with deaf nuance. One scene in particular, a sheriff is telling a story um, by the fire, and it quickly turns into a tense, awful thing. Um, sets this very macabre, neo-noir horror vibe that I think will really blossom go- going forward. Mm. Um, it really touched on that kind of absurdity and that scariness that the Coen brothers tap into, and that other things like True Detective 
tap into all framed around this sheriff just trying to get his goddamn casserole dish back. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so I liked it quite a bit. It's it's on the back of like the Ed Brubaker criminal type storytelling. Right. Um, but it, I, it seems to me that it's going to take a bit more of a supernatural tone. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. Uh, last uh, On June 18th, uh, last week, uh, Chris Copeland published an interview with Chris Conan and Jacob Phillips. Check that out on aptcomics.com. Plug and move on. My favorite, my second favorite book of last week was Suicide Squad number six by Tom Taylor and Bruno Redondo. This is an interesting issue in that it's a sort of a, it's a buffer between the last arc and the next arc. Uh, the Suicide Squad end up in Gotham. And when you end up in Gotham, a certain someone needs to know what the hell you're doing, if especially you are an ex-criminal. So the Suicide Squad have essentially parted ways with the um, organization that put the bombs in their necks. And this issue is basically a fun carryover from Flash Annual number three. Yes, it gets complicated. <laughs> Not Suicide Squad number five. And anyway, it's a, it's a really cool little uh, issue where Batman shows up and Tom Taylor shows us how he needs to be writing Batman right now. He has an excellent handle of the character, how he, he uses his seriousness to make you laugh. There's a moment, I'm going to spoil it. There's a moment where someone, one of the characters hands Deadshot a puppy and he goes, why are you handing me a puppy? And he goes, Batman won't punch you if you're holding a puppy. So then he's fighting Batman and then he grabs the puppy, swings it in front of Batman's face and goes, don't hit me or whatever. And Batman stops punching him. Uh, little moments like that that add like a, a fun sense of realism, but also like a unique, clever idea yeah. to punch yeah. up an action scene are just so fun. Uh, so yeah, I, just, I totally recommend checking out any of this issues of Suicide Squad, by the way. I think Tom Taylor is killing it on that. And uh, moving on to our, our number one issue of the week, because we both agreed. Yes. It's Marvel Snapshot Captain America number one by Mark Russell and Ramon K. Perez, curated by Kurt Music. Mm-hmm. Tell us, Forrest, what did you like? So this is set in the aftermath of the Captain America Mad Bomb arc from 1968. But I thought that Russell and Perez made a very strong case for telling stories when and where they work. The kind of shackles of continuity be damned. Mm -hmm. There is a clarity and seriousness of message here that I appreciated. Um, it's a story that tackles humanity, heartbreak, community, even patriotism and gentrification. Um, without flinching and in a way that the Marvel Universe is usually scared to venture into or mm -hmm. has been scared to venture into maybe since the original Mad Bomb arc. Sure. Um, it reminded me very much of the near end of Ralph Ellison's Invisible Man uh, novel written by a oh. black man about the black experience in America, mm -hmm. tonally and narratively. And there was one line in particular that really struck with me, stuck with me, that said, um, for a moment the Mad Bomb had leveled us all hero and citizen alike. No one stands taller than anyone else when you've all been knocked to the floor. Wow. And um, it's, it's this story about a young boy trying to grapple with community and what the oppressors have done to him and how he can reconcile with those oppressors or not. Um, we did discuss this off air and I do feel like it's very much a story about the black experience in America. Um, mm -hmm. It's very much about the... CIA funded destruction of Harlem yeah, and other issues. It's incredibly serious about um, feeling marginalized and left out and overlooked as um, people of color, especially black Americans often are, which is obviously very poignant for the current uh, political environment. And um, I love you protesters. If you're out there, um, please wear your masks. Uh, I did. I did kind of feel to some degree that this should have written, been written by a black author. Mm -hmm. 
and that Mark may have been co-opting a voice um, or an experience that is not his. I don't want to speak for him. Uh, but it, it was very, very good, and it told a very good story. And, and Mark is one of those people that channels, in particular, the voice of Captain America in a way that Captain America should be used, especially right now. Right, yeah, he's not just anybody. Right, yeah. Yeah, he has a very unique voice and a unique position. Mm-hmm. Of punching people, <laughs> and, and <laughs> As you know, the issue I, points out. Captain America does something wrong in this issue, mm-hmm. and by the end of it, tries to reconcile with that in a way that I think is very healthy and promotes a good dialogue. Mark was on the show ten episodes ago to talk about this. Was it issue. really that long ago? Yeah, it was episode sixty-eight. Wow. And um, I had like remember going back and checking that out. He talks a little bit about like the historical element of this and the setting. Um, one line that struck me in this issue was when Felix, the main character, is lamenting about how poverty isn't only about being poor, it's about missing out on life and feeling blamed for it. And that just struck me. Like, mm-hmm. it put me right into his shoes and made me see, like, it's not as simple as, oh, you know, my life sucks because I'm poor. It, it's, it goes much deeper than that. Mm-hmm. I also loved how uh, Mark Russell used AIM, the terrorist organization. And how they like try to give Felix a job, and he's like, "Aren't you a terrorist organization?" He's like, "Not, not, uh, not. We were never proven in court to be a terrorist <laughs> right, organization, yeah. something like that." Oh, he says, "Aren't you guys part of Hydra?" And he says, "That was never proven in court." Yes, exactly. Yeah, and I liked how that was depicted because it felt realistic. I could see it a does. Scientific yeah, it, it's totally touching on themes of like war profiteering and stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And once again, like I, this series in general, this series of one shots in general is just really good at hammering home a realism. Uh, involving superheroes that is believable and striking and it's a lot different than the usual superhero fare it's a, it's a totally different pace tonality message um i i could read an entire separate universe of this stuff i think that there's a space for your deadpools mm-hmm. but uh nine times out of ten i would rather read something like this yeah for sure marvels like marvelous Alex ross and kurt yes there you go. In our next segment, Top Books for next week, we're going to list off our number one most anticipated comic out next week. I'm going to go first. Okay. The Goddamned The Virgin Brides number one by Jason Aaron and R.M. Guerra is coming from Image Comics. This is a series I've been anticipating for years. Um, the Goddamn came out, gosh, I don't remember, uh, five years ago or so. I got to interview Jason Aaron about it, and it's a great uh, fictional interpretation of the Bible. Um, it's set in Bible times, but it, there's a twist on it. And seeing what humans were like back then, it's probably pretty close. They were barbaric and awful to each other. And, you know, society at large wasn't really a place with rules or protections for anyone. And it's interesting to see how Aaron and Guerra kind of give us a, an interpretation on not only the Bible, but what it was like to live back then. Mm, and. Mm-hmm. I'm very excited about this uh, issue in part because I know Aaron had said in our interview that he wants to continue exploring stories in this world um, for a long time. I know it took quite a while to draw the issue, and that was one of the reasons why it was hung up. But um, yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited to read this, and I'm hoping it's just as good as the original uh, series, The Goddamned. Yeah, I would say um, Aaron got the job on Conan because of The Goddamned. Oh, and yeah, that if good. you like Aaron's Conan, you should go read The Goddamned. Nice. 
Uh, my favorite, or the top book I'm looking forward to next mm-hmm. week is Olympia Number no. 5, written by Kurt and Tony Pyers, with art by Alex Diotto and D. Cuniff. This is the final issue of the Olympia miniseries from Image, which um, I know is very, very personal to my friend Kurt. Um, has been a very interesting exploration of the intersection of fantasy fiction and real life and what stories about heroes and and jack kirby-esque world building mean to us as children and what would happen if those two things were actually um significantly closer or to each other than we thought they were um Mm -hmm. especially through the lens of struggling with being isolated and feeling left out um as kurt channels this final story that he wrote with his father when his father was passing away um, mm. it's, it's incredibly poignant and difficult to read, especially if you know the backstory, but I think important and, and fun too, you know, um, this is an oversized issue and I'm, I'm very much looking forward to it. Yeah. Both from image comics. Yeah. Go image. Moving on to our next segment, judging by the cover junior, we're going to pick our favorite cover art out next week what is your favorite cover so my favorite cover is buffy the vampire slayer number 15 this is a variant cover by becca carey this is a um there's a giant hand descending from the sky the font work is really cool it's all this vertically stacked left aligned buffy the vampire slayer issue 15 all spelt out next to it and then it's got um kind of a collage aspect as two People are fighting in these circles, but they're like snipped up and fading into the big color bubbles that they're in. And there's um, this 1960s-esque minimalism to it. This reminds me a lot of the collage work of Robert Pollard, the main singer of Guided by Voices, who does Mm. collage work on um, all of their album covers. And they release like 10 albums a year. Um, And he also puts out collage work, uh, art books from cut excerpts from his album attempts and those sorts of things and they're obviously taking like a woman running and then a woman maybe kickboxing and they've pieced them all together and stuff and this is a story about buffy trying to finally go on a date with another character but something's going to get in the way and this kind of evokes that puppeteering aspect that i think is going to happen it's very cool it's very minimal and stylish nice yeah it is cool i like it it's very striking i love mixed media yeah this would stand out on the shelf too uh, my favorite cover is by Jay Lee for Red Sonia number 16. This one stands out because, yikes, it's scary. There's a zombie grabbing Red Sonia. It's she's uh, it's all side profile. And he's sort of got his hand on her mouth, and she's flying back. And I don't know. It just invokes a lot of energy and, like, fear. Like, I can't imagine being Red Sonia in this moment. It's very scary. Uh, it's very simply drawn, too. Um, it's her, her body is only, like, one line. It's very simple and yet her boot has some detailing it's the zombie that has the most detailing and it's in its face which i think draws your attention to the horrible gore that it's its face without and it also lacks a bottom jaw so there's all this like attention to this terrible uh, monster on the page while she's being grabbed um so yeah it invokes like a sense of uh, of dread for me and that's my favorite cover uh those red sonia and killing red sonia covers have been very good so you've, if you've been it this far, you are about to progress into the Ryan Stegman interview. Um, we'll be talking about Venom, his podcast Stegman, and his amazing friends, as well as his, his uh, approach to uh, drawing comics. Hope you enjoy. Take care of yourself.
All right, on with us is Ryan Stegman. You might know him from his work on Venom, also his awesome podcast. Thank you so much for being on the show, Ryan. Thanks for having me. We are big Venom fans. Actually, when the uh, pandemic hit, we did a book club, a book club series of podcasts, and I think Venom was the first one, wasn't it for us? It was the first one, yep. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> we, got, we, did a, we did spoil a bit, but it was a way to like kind of get people excited for the book and... Um, and recap how we got there and stuff like that. So people felt like they could just dive right in. Yeah, it's okay to spoil it. It's been out for a while. Yeah, I mean, what is the statute of limitations on spoiling things? Is it like a week, a day? <laughs> I think it's I think it's three months. Yeah, three months? Fair. Yeah. Sure. Because that's usually, by that time, people have seen the movie or whatever, too. Yeah, I was yeah. just going to say, like, with Star Wars, if you haven't seen the new Star Wars in three months, you don't really care about Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Right? Yeah, I would never complain about it after that point. <laughs> You're a person who doesn't mind the spoilers. Well, speaking of spoilers, uh, your podcast, Stegman and his amazing friends, love the name, by the way, has Thank surpassed 100,000 downloads after 44 episodes, I think you're at. Yeah. What inspired you to take um, to the internet airwaves? Well, so I'm, I've always been a huge fan of back in the day of um, letters pages, and I feel like those are kind of a little bit of a bygone thing. I liked it when the creators would do the letters pages. Yeah. And so I just sort of thought of this as, as an extension of that, that, you know, you kind of get to interact with the creators in an interesting way. And that's pretty much it. it, it it's just, you know, some way to con- connect with people. Right, right, right. But also create a, a universe, right? Yeah, that's the new thing. That's, yeah, that's kind of where we're at. We Donnie and I started where we were, um, you know, we were, I, I was doing some interviews with people and stuff like that. But then I, it got to the point where I was like, well, why am I like? There's plenty of interview shows. Yeah, uh, by people that are better at interviewing than me. So um, we started to throw some ideas around about just like creating something live on the air to show because I, I I started to get into the Marvel. Um, summit rooms and see how the books were created which even for me like a veteran of the comic book industry i had never seen and i was like that's a really cool thing that i think that people would enjoy watching so Mm -hmm. it's essentially Mm -hmm. that just me and donnie creating stuff on the fly it's almost like improvisational creation you know so um and it forces us to do it every week where we get on there and we talk out a story idea right now we're working on the bad kids uh, thing and we created um, some new superheroes and it's uh, yeah it's pretty awesome I mean I I think that people are enjoying it you never know but we're <laughs> <laughs> uh, enjoying it and that's that's really all I care about at this point is just doing something that we're we're having fun doing I was definitely getting like an imaginative kind of experience listening because it was like making me env- envision the characters and stuff and I know you also do your show on YouTube too is that right Yeah that's so that's exactly what we want and, and yeah. We want people to, like, you can kind of follow and, and you, you know, you as the listener, I'm sure, get kind of, uh, you know, it stokes your creative fires or whatever. Um, because I th- it would, for me at least, like listening to people talk about that, you, you're like, oh, that character could do this, you know, and people will throw out suggestions and in the chat. So, yeah, it's pretty cool. That's fun. Do you feel like doing the podcast has kind of deepened or helped hone your connection with the fans? Yeah, so far, um, for sure. Especially there's, you know, especially now that we have a live component where people can talk to us while we're doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, because you know, it's always cool to go through emails and read the um, reviews and stuff. But I feel like the instant uh, feedback has been really, really cool. And so we've got like, you know, our loyal 
listeners. I'd like to make, you know, more people into loyal live listeners. Recently, and this is like, I think, a yearly thing, a debate had sprung up on Twitter. Well, that's actually a daily thing about the function of comic uh, comics writers and their artists and their different the differences between uh, and similarities between them as storytellers. How would you describe your collaborative process with different writers across the industry? Well, so, I mean, I've had mostly good experiences. I only had like, you know, one that I would classify as bad mm -hmm. in terms of collaboration. I think that the best uh, collaborations are truly that where you're, um, you know, you kind of have a mind meld, which is, you know, what I feel like Donnie and I have where I completely understand what he is going for when he the way that he writes, like visually, mm -hmm. I can just see it in my head as soon as I read what he's written. And uh, we also, you know, get on the phone and talk story out. And, um, you know, I'm involved in the process. I've even written some of the Venom stuff. And he actually picked up some of the ideas that I had and ran with them. So um, that's the, to me, that's the ideal. Um, that's not always the case. But for the most part, especially at Marvel, it's been encouraged and uh, it's, it pretty much is um, always a, a really great collaboration. So, uh, people always want to do the the writers versus artists, like who's more important. It's not even it's it's like almost like a it doesn't even it doesn't matter. You guys should be an extension of each other, in my mm, opinion. Mm. Right, right. It's like asking a married couple, like <laughs> who's more important in the relationship. Yeah, well, that's actually easy. My wife. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. I hope she's yeah. listening. <laughs> So how frequently do you and Donnie hop on one of those calls and are your discussions more issue to issue details or are you plotting things out kind of long-term storytelling? Oh man. I mean, we're on the phone like every day. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's not always about story, but mm -hmm. see, see, that's one of, one of the things, the other reasons I wanted to do the podcast where we do the uh, creative sessions is because it's really impressive to me the way that Donnie thinks on his feet and the way that he talks out his ideas. Cause I've never really been around somebody that does that as well as he does. Um, or at least has as much confidence to, to throw his ideas out there. So I don't know. He, so he, he, I'll just kind of sometimes say, Hey, will you re-explain to me the story just because I know that he loves to do it anyway. And then, <laughs> um, and then it gets me all fired up and, uh, yeah, so like we kind of just it, our conversations will weave in and out of story. He'll he'll be like, by the way, you know, blah blah blah. Uh, here's the idea I have, and then I'll be like, oh, we could do you know such and such. And sometimes it's just that's tacked on to the end of a normal conversation, and sometimes that's the whole conversation. It just kind of you know happens that way. Very organic. That's cool. It's like it's like storytelling via jazz, right? Like yeah. back and forth. Yeah. Has your view of the Venom and Eddie Brock changed? throughout working on this story has it like evolved oh no question i mean if you if i did that venom inc series before i did um which was you know an amazing spider-man event before i did uh this uh venom series and it was if you look at the way i drew him in there yeah i mean he was like a big doofus <laughs> um yeah which is kind of how i thought about him you know like he was just kind of he was just kind of there to be, he was like a foil, you know? Mm, mm -hmm. And uh, then when Donnie and I started doing this book, we, we actually debated this back and forth a little bit. I was kind of drawing him the way that I was, go, you know, I had drawn him before. And uh, Donnie was like, 
you know, he's like a leading man in this. He needs to be handsome. And I was like, well, he's Eddie Brock, though, still. Right? <laughs> That's funny. Handsome. Yeah. And uh, so we kind of went back and forth. And after I started drawing it for a while, I was like, oh, no, he does need to be like a leading man in this. He does need to be the Tom Hardy. You know, he does. He can't just be a big oaf. And uh, so, like, throughout the series, my view on him has completely changed because Donnie's vision of him is so has so much depth, whereas before I thought he, you know, he was pretty much a one-dimensional uh, character, and and now he's a fully three-dimensional character, and uh, so, yeah, my, and, I, you know, like, I, I care for this character now, whereas before, again, I just, he was like a Spider-Man nemesis slash, you know, I mean, he had his, he had his stories before that, that gave him some depth, but that wasn't the norm, you know? Mm-hmm. Right, so, right, yeah. Now I think of him as much a much more complex and interesting character. If you had to pick one, what single contribution to the world of Venom are you most proud of making? I mean, the easy answer is null, I would I would say. Just sure. because, you know, we've kind of created an arch villain, so to speak, for Venom. Um, and that is, I mean... I, I look at this like we've taken something and I, I kind of love this about comics where they, these characters evolve over time and we took all the, the evolution and made him into what he is now, um, took all the pieces of the, the puzzle and kind of fit them together finally. And uh, so, I mean, overall, I'm just proud of the fact that going forward, I think that this will be a, um, very, I think that the the next writer will have a lot to work with, and they'll be able to continue this legacy of this this run for a long time. Whereas before, you know, like I, it always felt kind of like people would come in and rewrite everything that was written before because everybody was trying to find the um, the thread. And uh, I think that we've just kind of like left such a strong will be ha- have left such a strong. Um, idea here that it, this will go on for a long time and I think Null will appear a lot you know yeah cool I want to see him with the Infinity Gauntlet that's just me I don't know um, yeah. <laughs> uh, so on Monday the uh, free comic book day book that you worked on with Donnie Cates there is going to be coming out in July it was announced uh, two months later I think than it was supposed to or so um, right. when, when did you guys complete that by the way oh my god so I, long. Ago. Yeah, I want to say, like, do you remember what's in that book? Because it must be like... I forgot. When they announced that it was coming out, I was like, oh, yeah, we did that thing. And that's, <laughs> that's going to come out. Like, yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, I'm so far... I'm, I've been working on something, you know, behind the scenes for so long now that, um, you know, I've just kind of moved on from that. But, yeah, no, that's a really cool uh, story. And that's one that, you know, f- sort of further... Um, connects me and Donnie because that that's the first time that we've worked full Marvel style. Oh, cool. Um, where he really did just plot. We sat down, we were in Louisville for a convention and we sat down and talked out this idea. And then we just wrote down like one sentence for each page. And I kind of filled in all the blanks and, and made it a, you know, kind of a, my own in a way. And, you know, Donnie rolled with it exactly, and it was it was really neat. And it's a really cool story. Did the character Virus start with the name, or did it, did you work towards that? We worked towards that, and, uh, you know, it's a little unfortunate. 
<laughs> yeah, the timing. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was pretty weird. Um, maybe we maybe we manifested this whole thing. But right, right, came from your mind. It, yeah. It. Uh, yeah. No, that was. I mean, that was just we were talking about names and what this character was, and um, that just seemed we were we were kind of amazed that there isn't a a prop because there was like a mar a character a long time ago named Virus, but that's not this one. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that happens where if a character doesn't get picked up, you can just kind of take what you want from it, from the name, you know, we took the name and, um, this will be the virus going forward in the Marvel universe. Nice. So you and Donnie were two folks that I saw out of very few, actually, that ended up doing those kind of send in CGC signings. Mm -hmm. Do you miss con season? Did that feel kind of weird or did it feel like a natural thing to do? Or was it even a little easier at home? Yeah, I kind of, I'm kind of, uh, of two minds about it. I love going to conventions. I think they're a great way to recharge, um, to meet like the people that read your books and all that. Um, but I also have felt pretty good just like staying home and being with my family. And, uh, you know, I feel a little more relaxed than maybe usual. So, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I look forward to getting back, uh, on that train, but, for now, I'm, I'm enjoying the uh, summer at home. Yeah, and all that travel must get tiring over time. It does. It does. Yeah, like <laughs> I, like I said, it recharges you, but it also knocks you out for like a couple days. Mm. So like after you get after you recover from the convention, then you feel recharged. But at first, you get home and you're like, oh my god, I need to sleep for a week. Are there any books or movies or even video games uh, that inspire your work generally, and maybe even more narrowly, Venom? Mm, I don't know that I. I wouldn't say, I mean, artistically, most other comic books, you know, just because I'm influenced by other artists. But um, in terms of, uh, like, video games, you know, I play Zelda a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I play, you know, a lot of sports video games and stuff like that. But, no, I wouldn't say that 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 really seeps in very much. The world wants to know, Ryan, what is your take on PS5? Well, that Miles Morales stuff looked pretty cool, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Um, I guess, I mean, I, I'm excited. Why not? Do you, I know some writers do this, and I know some other artists do too. Do you make mood boards or any sort of other diagram to help stay on spec or to establish, like, tone for your books? Uh, you know, I don't. And I think that's interesting because I do feel like I've done several books where I naturally seem to um, pick up on a tone and I change what I'm doing to fit it. Like Venom obviously has been very dark. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I would have thought, because my personality is fairly happy-go-lucky, you know, I like a lot of silliness. My favorite stuff is comedies, you know. Um, So I would have thought that I would, jive more some with something like that but but i seem to get to do really well with this venom's this dark venom stuff and i think that well first of all i think i've I've revealed to myself there's a a lot more darkness in me than i realized (laughs) uh but also i think that um it is uh that i that, that throughout projects i just naturally pick up on whatever tone is there and one of the things that i that i really like about venom is how dramatic it's been, and that seems to be something that I'm I, I do well with. 
And so, yeah, I mean, I, I think I just kind of change according to what I'm working on. Nice. Can you tell us about one panel or moment that was surprisingly difficult for you to nail down? One panel or moment? Uh, I mean, the, the easy answer is every time that there's a lot of characters, mm -hmm. especially ones that I haven't drawn before, I can't believe how difficult that is. Because you think that you would just like go in and I'm, I'm a pro, I can draw this <laughs> character, but somehow there is like a personality or some sort of connection that you need with the character. And so often if a character is just appearing on a couple pages, you're like, I don't, I don't know this character. And then you get to the end of those couple pages and you're like, I finally get this character and now they're gone. <laughs> right. So, right. Sure. Yeah. So that kind of happens frequently. I've, what we've about one thing that comes surprisingly easy? Oh, always in, in my career, I've always been amazed at how easily Spider-Man came to me, but I, I mean, I do. I think there's a reason for that, and that is that he was my favorite character growing up, and I would always do samples of Spider-Man. But mm -hmm. as soon as I started, because I got the job doing um, Marvel Adventure Spider-Man early on in my career, which was you know the kids' line Spider-Man book, and uh, I had been doing stuff like these fantasy novel adaptations for a while, and I wasn't don't feel like I was particularly good at it. Um, I don't think I was particularly bad either, but I didn't feel a connection. I felt like I was drawing and it was kind of like a job. Uh -huh. And then I started drawing Spider-Man. I was like, oh, my God, I know exactly what to do. This is easy. Just give me Spider-Man, you know? Yeah. I imagine if, a, if there was a comic about, like, a baseball team, that might be hell on earth, right? Because there's so many people to draw in the background. Oh, yeah. That sounds <laughs> like a nightmare, yes. And, <laughs> and then there's movements that are so, so specific that you know, people would be able to tell if you were just like with Spider-Man, I'm just drawing like limbs flying everywhere. But the <laughs> baseball player, it, you'd be like, well, that's not how it looks when a guy swings a baseball bat. Oh, you know? true. So you'd have yeah. to get all the movements exactly right. Right. Like realism to it. Yeah. If you could develop a prestige graphic novel for any character, no holds barred, who would it be and why? I think that from the things that I just said, you can probably guess. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Yes, it would be Spider-Man. Uh, a writing and drawing? Uh, yeah, that's definitely something I'd like to tackle at some nice. point. The, 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 so I was kind of on a track where I was starting to write and draw um, stuff and for Marvel, and that was my plan. And then I started working with Donnie, and I was like, well, kind of he writes the stuff that I would write for myself. Mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. and and better than i would you know like it, it there would be a learning curve for me um so there's a it's kind of hard for me to um to see myself kind of giving that up that that sort of synergy that we have but it's definitely something i would like to do someday <laughs> sorry for the pivot but many folks are struggling to keep up their creative juices right now you know more folks are at home you don't get to go outside for inspiration all the news is depressing do you have any tricks or means of getting your creative juices flowing? Well, I stay off the news sites. That's for sure. sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't, I don't have a, I did have, so I did have, I guess I, if I think back, I definitely was having, was struggling to get some work done for a little while there and kind of was dwelling on things, but I seem to have come out of it. And um, I guess that the only thing I would say is just to, routine is what helps me mm. like mm -hmm. just that i wake up i go for a walk i work i exercise 
and then I work some more and I do the same thing every day. And it's like in those hours that I'm in my office working, that is what it's devoted to. So I stay off the news sites. I stay off Twitter. I do all those things. And uh, that seems to keep me pretty focused just because it's like, this is what I do every day, no matter what. Um, I'm fair, you know, like I'm, I'm fairly regimented. Um, but I, you know, I have a family and all that. So I, I kind of have to be, um, right, right. but I think, I, I think that routine, I think that a lot of times there's a sort of romanticized idea about being an artist where you have to be inspired all the time. And I kind of have found that you can, inspiration will strike if you just put yourself in the position to, you know, to accept it because, um, if you're, if you're going to wait to be inspired that all the time, then, you know, you're never going to get anything done. But, uh, you know, like I sit down and sometimes like yesterday, I definitely had a page where I had some characters that I'd never drawn before. And it was, I was really struggling. Uh, and then all of a sudden I changed one shot on the page and I was like, Oh, there it is. It's all, it all clicked. And then all of a sudden I was inspired and I was off to the races. But if I hadn't have put myself in that position, um, I would have never gotten to that point with it. Is there a certain amount of pages you want to finish in a day? Well, I, I'd love to finish one page a day, but I don't necessarily always achieve that goal. I mean, um, this is a hard job, but, you know, I, I, I'd say I, I try to finish four pages a week. Here's another pivot. What did you want to be when you were little? I wanted to be um, an animator or a baseball player. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, I wasn't very good at baseball, so that went out the window. Um, but yeah, no, I was obsessed with animation as a kid, and that's what I thought I wanted to do until I discovered comic books. And I was like, oh, like those people get to work from home, and <laughs> um, they don't, you know, it doesn't doesn't look like a real job. Whereas an animation job, animation looks like you know you're in an office with other people. I was like, oof, that looks rough. Um, so yeah, I, I, I wanted to do those two things, but as soon as I discovered comics, it, I, I was like 14 or 15 and I was like, Oh no, that's it. That's exactly what I want to do. Nice. So aside from your own, what comics are you reading right now? Do you read a lot of comics? I do. I, I'm never current. Like they're never like last night I was reading the Phoenix saga for whatever reason, just cause you know, I just felt like it. Yeah. Um, you know, that's kind of the beauty of digital stuff. I've, I've been reading Transmetropolitan. I'm, I'm getting through all that. Um, so, you, you know, nothing current, apparently. <laughs> I've been reading a lot of Berserk, the manga. And yeah. My Hero Academia. Tight. Very tight. Um, so, I, you know, I'm all over the map, but definitely not, not staying up current on current comics. I think, Forrest, we we're both huge Transmet fans, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 I'm a big fan of all those things. <laughs> oh, all the things that I mentioned? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ryan, is there one writer that you haven't worked with that you would like to work with most? Well, I mean, it'd be nice to do something with Alan Moore. <laughs> <laughs> nice. But, uh, of, co of course, the stuff, his subject matter that he does now, I, I'm not sure. But, um... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'd love to do something with Grant Morrison. Jason Aaron's one of my favorite writers. Um, Brian K. Vaughn, amazing. Uh, but, you know, I am, I, I, I do have to say, I'm ex like, I could work with Donnie 
for the rest of my life and I'd, I'd be happy because I'd know that I was going to get stuff that I want to draw all the time. And uh, so, you know, those other guys, they can get in line. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. They can beg, but I don't think. <laughs> You'll just keep saying no. So at the end of our show uh, every week, we have comics writers and artists particularly talk about one thing that they like right now that isn't comics related. Okay. So it could be anything, a book, whiskey, a movie that you just saw, whatever you want. Um, what has caught your eye lately? Well, so we got HBO Max um, because of the Studio Ghibli movies. Yeah. yeah. And uh, this has been like the most amazing experience. Like one of genuinely one of the most amazing experiences of my life is watching these movies with my kids. Uh, because, you know, when I first saw Spirit, Spirited Away um, years and years ago, I was like, oh, my God, this is it, Can you imagine watching this as a kid? Like, mm, yeah, it's my it's my how, favorite movie. Period. Yes. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. It, that movie is incredible. And uh, but, you know, like I kind of wished I could see it through the lens of a child because I was just like, wow, this would really mess my head up. And uh, <laughs> so we've been going through. So we haven't watched Spirited Away is next up. We did um, Howl's Moving Castle, uh, Nausicaa, and Ponyo. And did we do one other one? Maybe it's just those three. And uh, my, my sons currently tell me that those are their three favorite movies that they've ever seen. That's awesome. And they're asking all the right questions, and they are, like, riveted the entire time. And uh, it's, it's really been cool. Like, because, again, like I said, I wanted to see it through the lens of a child, and now I get to kind of. They, they, they explain to me, you know, they, they kind of, they talk a lot during the movies. Mm-hmm. And so they'll, uh, they'll say things, and, you know, they get real quiet at the scare. Oh, we watched Princess Mononoke also. I was going to yeah, ask, do you think that's a, is that like hard on a kid? I remember being like scared a bit and I was like 16, I think when I saw it. Yeah. You know, I had seen it a long time ago. I hadn't seen it in a while. Yeah. And so when he starts shooting those arrows and people's heads are flying off, I was like, Oh yeah. dear. <laughs> yeah. a mistake. Right. I was like, guys, uh, guys, should we turn this off? And they were like, no, this is awesome. You that's know? awesome. That's awesome. So, um, so I let him watch it. You know, sometimes I, I don't know. I let my kid, my kid reads every manga ever on Shonen Jump. Mm-hmm. And I'll find out later, like Chainsaw Man's goal is to touch boobs or whatever. And I'm like, well, <laughs> yeah. that's a, that's funny. You know, file that one under the uh, bad parenting. But, um, oh no, I think it's, it's, it helps them learn too, right? Grow up a yeah, little bit. Yeah, sure. <laughs> it helps them learn to want to touch boobs, I guess. Puts hair on their chest. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so the, the, this has been seriously like one of the most rewarding and fun experiences, and I can't wait to, to watch more of them with them. That's really cool. Ryan, when do we see you next on um, on Venom? I guess with the Free Comic Book Day book. Yeah, you'll see that, the Free Comic Book Day book coming out in uh, July, and then I'm sure there will be an announcement soon. I can't mm-hmm. say. I mean, you just I did have that, that spread in, page, in issue 25, mm-hmm. um, which... I thought was, you know, that was really fun to do. Uh, and they, they, they made it a second printing cover and it actually looked pretty cool. Oh, cool. Um, but so I did that. Um, and I've got, I've got like 60 pages here drawn of something else that, that will, you know, Venom fans will be very pleased and they'll announce it. And 
the world will be right again. <laughs> the crowd will go wild. Yeah. Well, Ryan, this is the end of our show. Thank you so much for your time. This has been a blast. Yeah, thanks for having me. And 